You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. You may know what Lent is. Raise your hand if you, quote, done Lent before in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, we're a mixed bag. Some of us have, some of us haven't. And, uh, but today is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent began on Ash Wednesday, and it's the season of practicing. That's what I like to call it. Practice is kind of a, uh, is a kind of a synonym for discipline. You know, if you have a discipline, it's because you're practicing something. You have a discipline of Tai Chi, Pat? Kind of. Some, well, it's, it's kind of lax maybe right now. But at, at one point in your life, you did Tai Chi. Yeah. You practiced it regularly. So you could teach us a little bit about how that energy moves. Um, and, and, and give us a little bit of what you had learned. So Lent is a season of practice. I like that word because it seems um, less having to do with like rules or something like that. Because we do need to practice being human. As, as simple as that sounds, it's hard to be human. It's hard to be a fully integrated human with all of the various uh, parts that come into play when one attempts humanity. So let's attempt humanity. I think that that God really likes humanity and God blesses us in all of our various levels. And like Pat was saying at the beginning, these layers, we want to get into that. So I'm going to ask you some questions as we go through. I'm going to tell you some stories, hoping to, to inspire you to practice with us not just the season of Lent, but because the season of Lent is just like an intensified season of practice. All, all of the Christian life is practicing, but we do it together in a special way, leading towards Easter. So let me tell you a story. I was a chaplain uh, for a couple of years before I became a pastor. You all know what a chaplain is in the hospital? Kind of essentially the, the human beating heart of the hospital, the one that doesn't take any measurements, the one that tries to help people feel and express their emotions, because that can be really helpful. Not just people who are sick and dying, but also staff members and anyone around. And I worked at Jefferson Hospital a lot of overnights. And when you're the chaplain of Jefferson Hospital and you're overnight, you have a beeper and you sleep in like a dorm room and you can go to sleep but when the beeper goes off, you better wake up and comb your hair and get to wherever you're supposed to be within the amount of time that the bosses say you're supposed to be there, which is quite fast. And one of the things that makes the beepers go off is a rapid response team. And a rapid response team is when someone has, someone has usually stopped breathing or requires some quick intervention, not on an intensive care unit. An intensive care unit is kind of a place where there's always a rapid response team ready to help people who are really sick. Other places in the hospital, they need to be, they need to, people run, literally run across the hospital to help these people that are in acute problems. And the chaplain got called to all those to just be the presence, uh, the, the loving, non-anxious presence in the middle of it all. That was what I was trying to do. And one night I got called to three rapid response team calls to the same room for a woman that was having seizures. And by the third one, 
there was a nurse that was furious about this problem because they suspected, and it turned out they were correct, that these seizures were psychosomatic. Like she didn't have anything wrong with her brain chemistry or like a, the blood in her brain or whatever it is that causes seizures. It was that she was very, very anxious and had other psychological issues that were causing her to kind of act like she was having a seizure. And the, this nurse that was so furious was saying, she's faking it. She's faking it. You know, I know what a real seizure is, and this isn't it. And I don't want to have to keep coming back. And I was tempted to be a little sympathetic because I didn't want to have to keep waking up. But then, but then I began to think about it, and I got the chance to, to talk to this woman after she had um, calmed down. And I realized, what does it matter to this woman if it's psychosomatic or if it's actually a physical problem? What's the difference for her? Does she want to be writhing around on her bed? Does she want to be in the kind of distress that she has nurses cussing her out under her breath because she's faking it and they're just trying to hold her down because she's just kind of flipping out? That's terrible. <laughs> that really sucks for her. And it makes no difference if it's in her head or in her brain. <laughs> you know, we don't even have the language for this. We don't, and, and this kind of illustrates how uh, interconnected the human body is the human heart and mind and soul and body and all of that, what does it even mean? What's the difference? It's more complicated than we know. Jesus gets this. You guys know I like Jesus, so I'm going to go to him to try to think about, about this problem. And uh, he says in, in answering questions in Luke 10, Luke 12, sorry, or is that Mark 12? That says Mark 12 up there, doesn't it? It's Mark 10. Wow. Okay, so it's in, it says Mark 10 up there? Yeah. No, that's wrong. It's Mark 12. That, it should be Mark 12. And this question also gets answered in Luke 10, so I'm a little confused. That's why it's confused up there. Um, so he's talking about the, difference, the differences in, in humanity. He, he's kind of getting at what it means... To, to know and follow God, he gets asked this question, um, which commandment is the most important? And this is his answer. The most important one, answers Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So I kind of take this as really good news, that Jesus sees us and knows us in all of our complexity and invites us in all those different layers to relate. If we are commanded to love God with all of those, all the complexity of our humanity, which I think is what Jesus is saying, please do not do like a schematic of what is a mind versus what is a soul. I don't want to do that. Um, it's more poetry than that. But we know, you know intuitively that, yeah, there's like different things going on. That woman is, is demonstrating it in the hospital, that there are different things going on 
in a human being. And Jesus sees that and invites us into relationship on all those different levels. Because if Jesus is going to say, God says love with all of those parts of you, God will also love you in all of those parts and even speak to you on all those different levels, all the different doors, all the different inputs that you have. So let me get you talking. How would you feel if you were the nurse in the hospital? Would you be tempted to be, uh, you know, you can be honest about it, you know, I, you know, would you be tempted to be like, what the heck is the problem? Would you, would you, would, or would you, would you want to, would you want to kind of uh, talk her out of it? How, how would you feel? I don't think there's a right answer here. I just want, I just want to kind of get us, get us talking a little bit. Can you identify with the nurse? Let me, let me go with this. Can you identify with the nurse who is super pissed at this woman? Yes. yes. Dan says yes. Kendra says yes. Do you have more to say, Kendra? Yeah, I think I feel kind of useless knowing that it's not a physical problem. Yeah, and, and her purpose is to help her. Yeah. Yeah. She probably felt like she couldn't do much. Yeah. That was, I was say, kind, of, kind of hopeless. Like, how am I going to help this person? If they're, if they're literally like, faking their own seizures, like, what a waste of time. You know? uh, I, get, I get real. I go real extreme. Mark. <laughs> I have epilepsy, so. I've been in the hospital with nurses who are sort of like that, mm-hmm. where they, they, I've been there constantly if I'm on drugs, and I've told them time coming in, it's not drugs, I have epilepsy, and they still ask you over and over again, it's drugs. Mm-hmm. And it's really freaking frustrating when they don't believe you. Because mm-hmm. whether a woman had uh, seizures or not, it's still, it's their job to be compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I. I, I love that you actually had that experience and, yeah. and you actually have the disorder and even still there's suspicion. Yeah. This is kind of any kind of uh, um, neurological disorder. I think people often have this because our neurology and our psychology are like connected or something. I don't pretend to understand it all, but all those different layers are very stacked on top of each other. But I love that you and Kendra, Dan, had compassion on the woman in her frustration. Because I was kind of thinking of it as like the alternative, it's either be a jerk about it or like be compassionate on the woman who is having trouble, psychological or physical, it doesn't matter, she's having trouble. But you're like, yeah, but I have compassion also on the nurse. Because like, she can't do what she wants to do. Yeah, I like that. That's, That's really great. So when Jesus says this, in, what does it say? Mark 12? Got it right? It's Mark 12, but up there it says Mark 10. Okay, got right? it. <laughs> that, that's, I have Mark 12 here. I'm pretty positive it's Mark okay. 12 here in, in my notes. In Mark I have somewhere. I question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, is the same kind of like commandment in Matthew, like Matthew 6 or 7, like golden rule? Uh, yeah, it's probably in Matthew somewhere. I'm, not, I, I'm sure that it's in Luke 10. The golden rule is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. That's in Luke 10. Love, love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ma- now, you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. That's the fancy Bible word for it, which means that they borrow a lot from each other and they tell the story a lot in the same way, uh, whereas John has a totally different take on it because he wrote it many years later. Um, but yeah, I think it's in there in Matthew. I just can't tell you exactly where. Um, so Jesus is telling me I have a heart 
I have a mind, I have strength, I have a soul, and that even that I've been placed in community. See the cool little pictograms I did? So a lot of people, I, I got the first four from the internet because, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what Jesus says. But then I extrapolated also, and love your neighbor as yourself. We actually have a social self, a kind of neighbor self, a, a sense of ourself in, in community. That is another way for us to love God and know God. Because I want, to, I, want to, I want this to be not just a commandment, but a description of the kind of life and love we can have. That's why I think it's good news. It, it's, it's an endorsement of every single part of you. So all the different layers that you might dismiss, all, all of the different ways of relating that you don't quite understand about yourself, God wants to love you in that way. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty amazing. So of these ones that I have up there, the pictures up there, which one do you think uh, dominates our cultural understanding of self? Like, what, what, how, what is the number one voice in this conversation, kind of in general? Yeah. Annalisa and Scott say mine. Kendra agrees. Anyone disagree? Yeah? I was going to say, I was going to say heart, because I think that's that's that kind of feelings. There might actually be a, an actual, that could be one of the big divides in our culture. Those that are those that are more oriented to feeling and those that are more oriented to thoughts, um, and uh, if the way our culture is going, they're often fighting each other like every other faction that exists. Uh, have a heart, man! Come on. Well, Thomas, you are the most correct, um, because I think that's what Jesus is going for—that we ought to engage all of these parts of us. And not only do we you know, need to bend all of those knees to Jesus and, to, and, 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 and worship God in all of those ways to give due honor, but in engaging all those parts, we become fully human. We become who we are. So thinking about this as, a, uh, as, a, as the thoughts, if thoughts are dominating our cultural description, let's just go with that for a second. What does that say about our feelings? If thoughts are the most, yeah, you were talking about this earlier, Jess. Put those feelings. Those are just feelings, right? You guys ever do? You, ever, do you guys ever like dismiss your feelings or get encouraged to dismiss your feelings? Yeah. I I cringe. I have two little boys, and as hard as I try, I can't not tell them to stop crying because <laughs> sometimes they're just crying. You know, and like, and it's, and it's just, it's fake and they're, and they're, and they're just manipulating and I'm just like, you can talk about it. You can, ex- I, and I, and I always say like, you can, ex- it's okay to express your feelings. You cannot scream, <laughs> you know, but, and I'm walking this fine line because I know I'm making them repressive human, adult humans, you know, I know I'm encouraging them to tamp it down in some way, because I think especially we, we enculturate our boys that way, right? Boys don't cry. Hopefully, that's changing. What 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 else what else do do thoughts do to dominate us? 
What was the question? What, how else do thoughts dominate us? What else do they do to dominate the conversation or our understanding of ourselves? Doubt. Say more. logically about certain things and emotion should be put into it and when you think logically about a lot of things you can end up going in circles which causes a lot of doubt mm. yeah it's like Camus like Albert Camus yeah okay like in the sense that like for instance say like you like lose your job and you're like trying to justify like that being like oh it's okay like I wanted to do something else and like you're kind of when you say that you're kind of devaluing what you did in the past and saying like oh that wasn't like I don't know like saying that job wasn't significant that you did like the stories that we tell ourselves can can kind of be so fatalistic and dominate uh, our 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 experience like the, the actual reality that occurred we can kind of undo it what do you mean by fatal um, I mean, like, uh, ready to kind of cut it off, ready to say it is what it is, can't change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... How about uh, thoughts? The mind be can be used to justify uh, like atrocious acts, like the mental gymnastics to justify the Holocaust or slavery, yeah. which Christians did in the past. Uh, me and Frank were talking about science earlier and how um, it can, uh, a lot of scientific things sort of emerge from war. And this this idea that um, if your science and your ethics kind of don't progress equally um, and the science sort of progresses without the ethics, that it, it can bad, bad, bad things happen. Mm. Yes, yeah, so we, we haven't caught up to the ethics even of the current moment. Probably not. Y'all know anything about nanotechnology? The tiny little nanobots, little yeah. tiny little robots that they're going to inject into your body to, to, to cure your cancer and create a new super mechano disease? Yeah, we're going down. By the way, Frank, Frank <laughs> was a, Frank's an engineer. <laughs> I just got to say this. I'm saying this. Frank is a professional engineer, okay? And he is not afraid of the robots. So, I just I just want to put that out there. Okay, raise your hand. Are you afraid of the robots? Yes. I, you don't have to be, but I am. So afraid I'm afraid of the ro- I'm afraid of the robots. Oh no, that's a side point. I love you all. Well, actually, that, that, no, it's, that, it's a, it's a, it's a case in point language thoughts can spread fear or not, right? Sure. Oh, this is a case sure. in point because I'm spreading fear right now with yeah. my fear of the robots. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and and actually, the storytelling that we do um, is is actually much more powerful than any of our 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 real cognition of any problem. The stories that we get so much more important than anything I know about nanotechnology, which is like a few articles I've read on the internet, and I think that they had a whole they had a whole National Geographic about it that I read a lot of. You know, that's that's the extent of it. But more important than that is the place that Terminator has in, and, and the Matrix has in my heart. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the stories that we get told are much more powerful than any of the facts that we know. And, and, I'm, and I'm aware of this. I am aware that Terminator is a story and that The Matrix is a story. But it has shaped, those stories have shaped my understanding more powerfully than anything I've studied. And this is, this is where, I'm going to get back to you in a sec, Lexi. This is where we kind of flip the coin. Because I do think that there is this big divide between head and heart. And uh, scientists have actually been studying this. And we actually are very feeling-oriented people. Like, uh, many of the decisions that we make that we claim are very factual, um, are based on facts. You know, so social scientists create these experiments to test that theory. You know, the theory that you have about yourself, that you're making a decision based upon the facts that you know. And it, it, they blow it up all the time. Like, uh, many of the most important decisions we make are very um, oriented to our hearts. And, and I, I really like how confused we are about that. I don't want to, I don't want to say, oh, you're, oh, you're, you're so like, you think you know what you're doing. No, I'm saying, no, we don't know what we're doing, y'all. And that's okay. Let's practice paying attention so we might know even a little bit. We're just beginners at this human thing. And Jesus knows that. You're just a beginner. And, and if you pretend like you know, he's not going to have much to do to help you. He said another time that he comes to those who are sick. I come for those who are sick because they're the ones that need a doctor. People who are well, people that are Gucci, people that know what they're talking about, they don't need me. And you know people like that that are fine. Let them be fine. I don't want to be fine. I want, I want to, I'd like to feel content. I'd like to experience some peace, but I don't want to get too big for my bridges so that I think I know something that I don't. I want to be a beginner and I want to practice and I want to have a master. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. That's when we get back to that word about practicing. The other word, discipleship, means that I'm a disciple. It means that I have a master. Someone who's figured it out and I want to follow in his way. That's what Lent is about, is, is taking that way. And it's a hard way to take. It's the, the, biggest, the biggest thing is just submitting to needing to learn. That's, that's the hardest thing to do. Once you, once, you, once you decide to follow, it actually gets a lot easier. One more thing that Jesus said, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But that's only once you say, you can lead me. It's really hard to submit and to follow and to be led around by a yoke. But Jesus is inviting us into that. Lexi, I'm sorry, I cut you off. It might be too late, but I don't, I want to I forgot it. Ah, dang. I was afraid of that. I'm sorry. And strength is an underrated one that we like under practice. Because, like, for instance, Ben, like, you can handle, like, moving this musical equipment around here. I don't know if the church would have been able to get off the ground if, like, we couldn't, like, have roadies and, like, move stuff around, get tables out for lunches, like, all the chairs stacked up. It's just, like, the whole production itself is, like, a cool way of being able to give the world that I think is important and actually important for handling the robots. Which I don't want to get into now. <laughs> let me let me tell you one more story about about getting getting synced up. And then I'll then I'll ask you another question. So and this kind of goes with the with the strength thing. I want to focus a bit on our bodies, 
Um, I like that's a good segue, Thomas, because yeah, I can move that amp. I'm 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 a I'm a giant human being. I'm in the 95th percentile of all humans ever. You know, and that's that's just part of that's and it, it has shaped a lot of who I am. Like a lot, like yeah, I have a pretty big personality. I, I I'm, I'm a peacemaker. I have a spiritual gift of martyrdom. I don't know if I would have that if I weren't so dang big. You know. You are the so, but com- what comes with that, that that bigness is this kind of over bigness, and it gets me out of sync with my body. So, like when I'm sick, um, I need to uh, ignore the problem and and just like tough it out, make sure no one knows that I'm sick. That's another. That's a mind thing, a bit of the narcissism too. But uh, I've spent the past. Um, year and a couple months going to the uh, eye doctor. Pat's been praying for me a lot. Thank you, Pat. Appreciate you. Because I got shingles for Christmas in 2017. Shingles is the, the chicken pox virus coming back to bite you in, in a rash and a lot of nerve pain. It attacks the nerves. And there's no real business that a man of my age and health should be getting shingles except that uh, it must be like stressed out or something because I, it requires some immunocompromise for the, for the virus. The vi- if you had chicken pox ever, like Kirsten never had chicken pox because she got the vaccine. She's young enough. A lot of you might be young enough to have had the vaccine, but those of us that are my age or maybe a little bit younger than me had to get chicken pox when they were a kid and then that you have chicken pox in your body for the rest of your life. That virus is in you. And it can come back in the form of shingles. Most likely, I will have another flare of shingles in my life. Because now the way has been made. But I was totally unaware of how stressed out I was. I was totally out of sync with my body. I didn't know how, how, how much I was burning the candle at both ends. Until my body came out and said, Hey, here's some rash on your eye. And then it got into my eye and attacked my cornea. And my cornea is, is permanently scarred. Um, so I have less than perfect vision in my perfect vision to eyes. A real crestfall, a real, a real slap in the face with my limitations. And it reminds me of my son, Thea, who's five, who has an incredible imagination, super big ideas about what we're going to do and what he, what he's going to make. And, but he, he doesn't have the dexterity or even he can't spell. Oftentimes his, his stories involve like writing something and he doesn't know how to read. And, you know, he wants, he wants to like make it and he wants me to make it according to his vision. And either because I'm not very patient sometimes or because he's five and can't express his vision adequately for me to execute, we're often at a standstill. Wait, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know what you want, son. I want to help you, but not really, actually. But I'm going to do what you want because um, I love you and I'm going to try to help you. But I can't, I can't figure out what you want me to do. And not too long ago, I, we were in one of these standstills in these little standoffs of like, dude, I, I, don't, know what you, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You, and I'm getting a little testy. 
and and I just I exasperated him so much that he he just collapsed in the floor in a puddle of frustration and despair. He just couldn't get it out of his head. He couldn't make it real, and it just destroyed him. And it was so over the top. And you might hate me for for telling you this, but I, I had to go into the other room, into the kitchen, and get my giggles out because it was just too, it was just too over the top. I just can't handle this because I know what he needs. I have to go. I can't laugh at him, so I go hide my laughter and come back in and scoop him up be the dad, and what he needs is to put his head on my shoulder and wail it out for a second, and he'll be fine. So, going back now to my big aspirations, Theo is my son. We have a lot in common. I have big ideas that I don't know how to get out, and I often feel that same kind of exasperation. I do not often collapse on the floor in grief, although I, maybe I should, because... This story is kind of a, a bit of a, a parallel to that. When I, when I come up against my limitations, like when I get shingles in my eye or want to grow the church, want to figure out a new group of people that want to know Jesus in South Jersey, want to tell our story in an effective way to a lot of different people, I get exasperated because I don't know how. And my, my personal prayers end up being, God, yeah, okay, I'm sick. I need more. WTF, I need more. This is my prayer. This is a very frustrated prayer. Give me more, and I could soften it up, but when it comes down to it, it's still more, more, more. And, and I can get even softer. Please, come on, more. That's my prayer. The prayer sucks. The prayer really hurts. And I realized that when I was at a prayer retreat, I was walking in a labyrinth. Do you all know what a labyrinth is? Put a picture of it up there. It's this kind of meditative walk you can do, weaving around and around into the center and then back out. It's a way to be slow. It's a way to be in your body, which I often need help with. And I was praying and praying as I walked through this labyrinth. Uh, it's in Southampton. If you wanted to go to a labyrinth close by, though, there's one at Collingswood, uh, Trinity Trinity Episcopal Church. Circle of Hope actually used to meet there. So I was walking this this labyrinth, and I was in that kind of like desperate mode, like really needing uh, God's shoulder to lay my head upon. That was what I needed, but I was still kind of stuck in more and more and more. And something happened as I was walking slowly in the labyrinth, and I switched to, this hurts. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And then the tears just started to fall. And I kept walking, I let them fall, and I made it to the center, and it was like I made it to God's shoulder. And nothing changed, but I felt so much better. Has God ever showed up for you in your body like that? Have you learned something from your body? Has God spoken to you? Has God affected some shift in your prayer or in your hope or in your vision, the way you see the world? 
in your body somehow. Used your body as an instrument of communication, perhaps. You want to talk about it? When I was um, 18, I was, I was like super depressed. And I had all kinds of like dark thoughts. Typical 18 year old, right? I was like, you can imagine. I was, I was a pretty over the top dramatic 18 year old. But I, I had some like super dramatic thoughts. And I used to get like these headaches and these like weird pains in my head. And I started to um, uh, get convinced that I was that I had a brain tumor. And I was like, I, would, I kept trying, I knew it was sort of silly, but I just, it just got worse and worse. And I was convinced that I had a brain tumor. <clears throat> so I scheduled an, an MRI. And uh, I remember like a couple days before the MRI walking around and thinking like, this is it. I'm going to go to that MRI and I'm going to find out that I've got six months to, to live. And all right, I'm like, I start thinking about how I'm going to spend the rest six months of my life, you know? Mm. <clears throat> um, I go to the MRI, everything's fine, I'm fine, right? But I realized that um, I felt like God used that moment, um, that experience to show me that I didn't want any of, the, any of those dark thoughts that I was struggling with, you know? I didn't want any of that. I wanted to live and, and I wanted to, to uh, be alive and I had all kinds of joy and, and you know. And I, but I felt like God used that, my that paranoia and fear to be just sort of like, kind of like, all right, hey, back on course there. Uh, because it was kind of romantic to think that you might be dying. And there was something maybe. about you that, that would, that would be perfect for you. Maybe. And you, and, and that changed. But the reality was like, Oh shit. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I needed something. I needed something to kind of like Radical. slap me in the head. Yeah. yeah. Last year, in July, I went on this um, thing called Compassion Commission, and um, it's this, this week of doing like charity work and stuff like that. We went to Boston, somewhere. It started with a B. I don't remember it. Um, and what we did is we would, you know, we work at like charity farms and stuff like that. But every night we had a service, and that service around me was like touching all these people people were like doing all these things like praying in tongues and like getting really touched and I wasn't mm. and I was like what's wrong with me am I doing something wrong I don't know so this happened for like the whole week that nothing was just I kept trying I would sit there and pray I would sit there in silence and I would think and I would just be like is it me like I just kept getting my mind swarmed with all this doubt going back to my thinking too much <laughs> and um, the night before the last night I finally like everyone's you know getting touched again and stuff like that there were new people there who came in after we went out and like brought people to the church and stuff like that and I had finally decided everyone got up and was like going to go start praying and stuff like that. I was like, I'm just going to sit here because, you know, what's the point? If I'm not getting touched, what's the point? And I sat there and I just sat there in silence. 
not even not even letting my brain go anywhere. And then I started to cry. Mm-hmm. And I just felt this like warmth flow over me because I finally just sat and shut up. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was like, oh my goodness. Because I haven't I hadn't been touched like that since a few years before I moved here from Ohio. And after that, I had gone up and I went to go pray for somebody because she asked me to. I don't know why she asked me to, but she asked me to. At least at that time, I didn't. And I didn't know what to pray for. She just said, just pray. So I started to kind of pray. I was like, I'm, I want, I like, I prayed for her to like wash away any self doubt that she had about what she was doing in her life. And if it, and she started like bawling her eyes out, and she was like, that's exactly what I needed, and everything like that. So I think. When I finally was able to quiet myself, God finally was able to come into me and use me as a tool to touch somebody else's life who apparently wasn't getting touched that week either until that night. Man, that's a pretty incredible story. Wow. I want some of that. stories of feeling it we're trying to practice feeling it in our bodies this week um, I've been like I've never been somebody that's very into exercise or eating right or kind of taking care of my body <laughs> uh, I've always just kind of been like yeah the pushes just keep pushing the push and the drive um, but the, uh, the past month trainer guy and uh, uh, I've been like you know working out and um, kind of eating like way better than I ever have before in my life and like I can't believe how much better mm. like I can't I can't believe it. and it's like um, it's really uh, making me more disciplined and uh, like a lot more mindful you know I think it's easy to overlook like just like taking care of your body um, when it comes to like stuff you know church stuff you know we're, we're, we're thinking more about our, our feelings and our, and our you know, spiritual life with God and it seems like oh it's not it's not a physical thing you know it's not you're not we're not just talking about our bodies or going for a walk or anything this is like you know but like I feel like God is God wants us to take care of ourselves and it's like it's a big thing well, no, I just, I, I'm definitely seeing God in things, you know, because I'm, um, it's, a, it's, it's a discipline, and, and it's like, it's wholesome, you know, I'm trying to put, like, good food in my body, you know, man, good. Yeah, we might, like, we, I think that we, we're taught to kind of split these things up as if what you're doing with your body isn't spiritual. Right. And some, you know, some people say, oh, they swear by this. They swear by this diet or they swear by this lifestyle. Have you heard people say that? They actually do. They do swear by it. It is all that there is. Healthiness is not next to godliness. It is godliness. And you know what? I don't think they're totally wrong. They just, they've just overemphasized. They're off kilter. They're out of balance. But getting your body 
in shape, taking care of it, experiencing the the, the victory of, of self-discipline. It, it, it's loving the Lord your God with all your strength, you know? And, and it, it'll help you love the Lord your God with all your other parts too. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.